Good afternoon. Today is June 15th, 2023. Welcome to this week's episode of the Stat Regimen of Season 8, a series that provides recent updates on all things public health current to Rhode Island. My name is Ashley Shirello, and I'm a final year pharmacy student from the University of Rhode Island. And I'm Jeff Bratberg. I'm a clinical professor at the College of Pharmacy and an academic collaborations officer at the Department of Health. The opinions expressed in this podcast by the hosts and guests do not represent the opinions of the United States government, the Rhode Island Department of Health, nor the University of Rhode Island. Today, Dr. Bradberg and I will be discussing the most recent updates on MPOX, formerly known as monkeypox. The first United States MPOX outbreak began last May and ended in the fall of 2022. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, in the past year, more than 30,000 cases have been identified in the United States, that resulted in only 42 deaths. As of last month, the Center of Disease Control has identified an increase in cases in Chicago and warns of a possible outbreak via a health alert network. The health alert network informs that from April 17th to May 5th, there were 12 confirmed and one probable MPOX case in Chicago. The alert fears that this spring and summer, we will see a resurgence of MPOX cases due to increases in large events and festivals. Who is being affected by the MPOX and what populations are considered to be high risk? So the main marginalized group of folks that MPOX has infected based on lots of epidemiologic studies are gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men or GBMSM and transgendered people. Although this population is at the highest risk and where the greatest prevalence of MPOX occurs, cases also have been reported in straight men, women, and even more rarely children. Importantly, Black and Brown communities, especially in the LGBTQIA population, have been disproportionately affected, like so many other chronic and acute diseases that we have, just like the other ongoing pandemic, uh, COVID-19. As with COVID-19, CDC and other public health agencies are using all those lessons we've learned to have surveillance to alert the public through those health alert networks, which also go to uh, health professionals and through public health departments, but also using things like wastewater surveillance and other nodes to increase early detection of MPOX because we do have testing, treatment, and vaccination, just like for COVID-19, that we can stand up and, and try to detect and treat and prevent more cases when that surveillance data shows that there is an increase in cases. Is MPOX limited to sexual transmission or are there other ways to acquire this virus? So it's a little tricky to describe this is that this virus is spread through close, prolonged, and intimate skin-to-skin contact. So to try to reduce the stigma even more because the population that's most affected is highly stigmatized and discriminated against It's important that we don't label this as an STI, a sexually transmitted infection like gonorrhea or chlamydia or syphilis, which are also at epidemic proportions and should be tested for and treated and surveilled. It's important that the contact is really how it's transmitted, direct contact with evident rash and scabs, as well as contact with other kinds of body fluids like saliva, upper respiratory secretions, and also skin, especially around the anus, rectum, or vagina. Now, touching surfaces or objects that have been used by someone with MPOX is considered very low risk for transmission. So again, it can be sexually transmitted, but it's really not a sexually transmitted infection like traditionally identified STIs. It's really the prolonged skin-to-skin contact with the lesions in the genital area that results in the highest likelihood of transmission. Once you have lesions or that or the scabs, we know that those transmit, but there's new data to show you're able to spread MPOX one to four days before symptoms develop or when people are asymptomatic. We also saw that with the respiratory disease of COVID. Now, the disease is considered transmissible until that rash is fully healed, 
and there's a fresh layer of skin, it incubates usually for seven to 14 days. That can range up to 21 days. So it's important to think that there are multiple ways to transmit, and it does have a fairly long incubation period from acquisition to when you develop those rashes. And what are the most recent CDC guidelines as preventative measures for those considered to be at high risk of acquiring the virus? So people are advised by another global public health agency, the World Health Organization, to get an MPOX vaccination within four days of contact with someone currently infected or within 14 days if the contact was asymptomatic at the time. And so this goes into this philosophy of contact tracing, which health departments are very skilled at, got especially skilled at and innovated during COVID. But we do that very, very typically with sexually transmitted infections. They're called reportable diseases in that once a lab identifies a positive contact, you get sent to the public health department. They reach out to the that person or what we call the index case and identify all of their contacts to make sure that we're screening those contacts and offering them treatment or in, in this case, also vaccination. Vaccination, of course, is the most important and proven effective ways to prevent infection. We just started implementing the vaccine against MPOX last year. It's very similar to smallpox. So we have smallpox vaccination and other MPOX vaccines. We still don't know if the protection lasts longer than a year. So for folks who got vaccinated last year, we don't know how long it's going to last. Probably it's better than not having it. We don't know if the people need booster shots. It's a common question. And we don't know if the vaccine actually stops transmission. But we do know that it will protect acquisition. So that's the important thing. So it's recommended for health, health workers at risk of exposure. Again, men who have sex with men, people with multiple sex partners, and people who are commercial sex workers. The vaccine is a two-dose series. We do see protection with one dose, but one of the roles of pharmacists is to make sure that people come back for their second dose and use all those techniques to do that. The second dose is given four weeks later. Now, even though over 1.2 million doses of Genios, which is the brand name of the Mpox virus, have been administered as of January 2023, really of that population of high-risk folks, only 23% had been fully vaccinated or reached the second dose, and probably a little more than half had received one dose. Now, there is an antiviral on the market. I wouldn't count on that. It's called TTPOX, but there is data that is emerging that medication may be associated with resistance in the virus or the virus developing resistance. It is an oral treatment. It's not intravenous or intramuscular treatment. So if someone is unvaccinated, they get contacted by the person or health department that they've been in contact. And especially for folks who have HIV, they're at higher risk of severe effects of MPOX. TTPOX would be indicated for them. So to reduce the chance of severe consequences like hospitalization or even death. People who were infected with HIV often had the most severe symptoms, more often causing hospitalization. How do we protect people living with HIV? Yeah, so there's all these combined interventions that we do. We're tracking HIV, also a sexually transmitted infection, also transmitted by other body fluids. So one of the key things that we do is called pre-exposure prophylaxis, extraordinarily effective, even if people aren't entirely adherent to it. We know PrEP works. It's part of the, the national HIV elimination and the epidemic. So we really need as much PrEP out. Pharmacists play a key role. We hope they're going to play a key role here in Rhode Island. And also a bill has been introduced in Massachusetts to our north. We also know that people are HIV positive, that getting them on treatment and screening them, getting them into care works. We know that people at high risk, which we just described of acquiring MPOX, are also at high risk of HIV. So making sure that we're screening all their contacts for HIV, we're advocating for uh, barrier protection, such as use of condoms. And so there's an HIV care cascade about people who are at risk, people who are screened, 
people who are positive and on treatment and people who are retained in treatment. We don't really need to apply that to MPOX, but we know that getting people moved to the area where they're retained in care that's extraordinarily effective to reduce HIV levels in their blood to undetectable that they probably at that circumstance have the same risk of severe consequences of MPOX. And of course, anyone who is HIV positive and has some of those risk factors should be getting vaccinated against MPOX. Clinicians are reminded when evaluating patients for MPOX to obtain a full patient history and complete a physical exam to detect possible lesions. It's important to educate those at high risk that the vaccination continues to be the best preventative measure at this time. As a healthcare professional or pharmacist, it is important to stay up to date with potential outbreaks in the United States so that we can prepare accordingly to assure that our patients receive proper care. Thank you for joining this week of the STAT Regimen on NPOX. Thank you.